If you have a Bible or an app or whatever you would like to use, we're going to be kind of all over tonight. We're not going to be like in one specific text. But if you do um, want to turn somewhere, go ahead and turn to the Gospels. We'll be in Mark first. So you can just turn to Mark 1, and uh, we'll kind of be all over a little bit. But while you're turning there, uh, okay, survey question so far. How are we feeling about hashtag struggles? Are you guys enjoying this study? Is it, is it, being, is it helpful? I know there's a little cheese factor involved. Hashtag, hashtag lit is what you said? Hashtag lit. lit. (laughs) Yeah, hashtag lit. That's like my, I'm trying to be, you know, I'm getting close to being 30. I got to stay with the lingo of the cool kids. So, you know, trying to be hip with the youth, hip with the youths. Um, Well, good. Well, I've enjoyed this too. This has been a really good um, even thing for me to go through. And even from Colby last week, as we talked about vulnerability. And I think that was a really great message. And I think he actually even used it at the retreat he spoke at last weekend again. So, um, which that's what ministers do, by the way, we do recycle messages. So don't think that every time I give you a message, it's completely original. Um, but, uh, but I have been enjoying this and, um, it, it is coming from book, a book by Craig Rochelle. So if you ever want to rehear some of this stuff, that's a great book to pick up. It's called hashtag struggles. Um, but tonight we're talking about compassion. So we're kind of walking along this process and, um, going through different parts of this book, but um, we're talking about the idea of, of what does it mean to show compassion, all right? So if you guys keep up with much technology and social media and the kind of the trends and that kind of thing, you've probably seen over the past, what, five or six years, kind of the, the patterns that arise in social media when it comes to uh, social justice, right? Who, who remembers Coney 2012? You guys remember the Coney 2012 thing? Yeah, I remember that. It was a big thing, like Joseph Coney. You know, he was kidnapping boys in Uganda, um, making child soldiers, and there was a big push to capture him. And, um, and then the founder of Invisible Children, he got into some personal issues, and that whole thing kind of fell through. Um, I'm not sure if they ever captured Kony. I don't know if that ever happened, but you remember that. Um, you remember the, the 200 missing Nigerian girls, right? Remember that whole idea, the, the girls that went missing in Nigeria? That was a big thing for a while. Like, where did they go? And I, I don't think we've still found them, like what happened with that, but that was a big thing for a while. Did we find them? Okay, good, good. Yeah. yeah well, thank you, Ethan. Um, so there was that. But even more recently, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Who all did an Ice Bucket video? Just be honest. Who, who did a, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? Who, okay, Joseph did one. Okay. No one else did one? Really? Okay. Chris did Okay. Okay. So I, neither Tio or, or Jared is here. I did one of those videos, and I don't know if y'all saw it. Yes. So short story about that. I thought I'd be really funny. And I was living at the BCM at the time. I thought I'd be really funny and not do the normal video where they throw the water on you, like, on top, top of your head. I thought it'd be funny if I got a garbage can and literally emptied an ice machine out into the garbage can and then filled it with water and got dunked that way. Not a smart... Okay, I've had a lot of bad ideas in my life. That Probably one of the top three has been this. So, um, so what I did, though, is that we got in front of the BCM. I do a handstand on top of the garbage can, and I got T.O. and Jared Rogley holding my ankles... And the idea was in to dip me in the water, like, head first like that, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've, getting, if you've like, jumped in a cold swimming pool before, but, like, what's your body's natural instinct when you, like, yeah. Yeah, so I get dipped head first in. My immediate thing is to, like, and so what I, but I'm in water, so I begin to inhale water. And, and then, then I begin to freak out because I'm, like, I'm about to die, you know, and so I start kicking. Well, what do they hold me by? My legs. So... T.O. accidentally lets go of me, and, and Jared is holding me by, like, one leg, keeping me from, like, falling completely in the thing and, like, dying, 
And he, he's able to pull me out and then Tia grabs me in. But yeah, like I almost died during that thing. That was really stupid. But because I wanted to be clever. I know, I know. I'm, I'm ridiculous. But it, yeah, if you scroll far enough in my Facebook feed, you can find it. It's still there. So, <laughs> but, but, that, but, but, but on that idea of that ALS thing, though, it actually did work. Like I saw something recently um, that the ALS Foundation was actually able to raise so much money through that. They were able to actually make um, some huge progress in research and actually found a new gene, I want to say, that's connected to Lou Gehrig's disease. So that actually was a really good thing. Um, but with that, like we've seen these kind of fads come and go, and we're kind of used to that kind of thing now. And while social media and technology is obviously super helpful in that kind of way, there is a risk that comes along with that too, right? It's the fact that we see this stuff sometimes and we can interact with it. We can like share a post, but then what do we do? We we move on sometimes, right? We kind of think about it. Oh, that's really sad. Let me retweet this. Let me, you know, like it, share it, whatever. And I kind of move on with my life. And we, I I believe that it really does affect the way that we, um, show compassion and show, you know, need or um, help serve people in need around the world. And so that's the idea of compassion tonight that we're going to talk about. And uh, it's a really interesting study that the University of Michigan did uh, over the course of 30 years from 1979 to 2009. They did a study um, with 14,000 college students. So these are your people. Well, kind of. You weren't college students in 79, but um, I wasn't even alive in 79. But, um, but they did a study with 14,000 college students, and during that time, they um, measured the amount of empathy that they showed. I'll explain how they did that in a second. But they measured the amount of empathy they show, and over time, they saw a sharp decline in the amount that we care about other people. Uh, to the point where, this is your first blank, by the way, that we actually care 40% less, 40% less than people did in the 1980s. Now, you may be like, Kyle, how in the world do you quantify, the, the engineers in here are like, how do you quantify compassion? You know, how does that work, right? Well, here's, here's what they did, okay? They, they asked um, some questions like this to kind of begin to figure out how do people care less. They, they had like a scale of like 1 to 10, how much do you agree with this statement? Statements like this. I sometimes try to understand friends better by looking at that, their perspective. So I try to understand them better by looking at their perspective. Questions like this or statements like this. I often have tender, concerned feelings about less fortunate people than me. They asked them if they would call themselves soft-hearted. And over time, people, fewer people began to call themselves soft-hearted. And they also um, asked them if others' misfortunes bothered them very much. And over time, less and less people said yes. Or less people you know, would say 8 out of 10 or you know, 9 out of 10. And they begin to go lower and lower. And so... Like, it's really interesting that we care 40% less somehow, but the even more fascinating part of that is that if you look at the research and the way, like, the graphs work, is that when social media and technology began to arise, like, in, like, mid-2000s, the level of, like, empathy gets even steeper down, right? So, actually, social media somehow begins to affect the way we care even, even more to where we care less the more involved with social media that we are, which I think is fascinating, and you may be like, well, well Why? Well, let's look at three reasons. Okay, I want to give these to you really quick too. Also in your notes, like how does technology cause us to care less? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I'll give you three ones here. All right, so number one is something Colby talked about last week, right? We're more obsessed with ourselves. Colby talked about the whole like selfie obsessed world that we live in. And you guys have heard us kind of unpacking this idea uh, a little bit the past couple of weeks, but that we're more obsessed with ourselves. Uh, the first week we did this, we talked about contentment. And during that week, I talked about dopamine. You guys remember that? How like increased levels of Facebook use and social media increases the level of dopamine. Well, what do we know about dopamine? I'm actually asking that question. It's what? It's addictive. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, it's addictive. Yeah, it's an addictive drug or addictive chemical in our body. It's actually released when we do other things like gamble, like smoke, that kind of that kind of thing. So, like, it is an addictive chemical in our body. But then, if you combine that with the fact that so when we use social media, it releases dopamine, so it's addictive. But then studies show that 80% of the time that we use social media, it's involving the person who's using it, which makes sense, right? So like if you're on Facebook, you're probably like interacting with something that has to do with yourself, right? You're looking at pictures that you're in, you're you know, commenting on posts that you posted or that you're interested in, like, but 80% of our social media use revolves around us in some kind of way. So then you combine those two together, and what happens is that our body is rewarding ourselves or rewarding us for focusing on ourselves, Like our body, the chemicals in our body are rewarding ourselves for focusing on ourselves, if that makes sense. All right. And so like, it's just kind of like, you know, uh, what's that? What's the word? Vicious cycle, right? Vicious cycle of social media use that we end up seeing here to where we become more and more focused on ourselves. And I don't know about you, but like, even in just my own life, I have realized that like social media can make you more narcissistic, right? Makes you care more and like think more about yourself and like, you know, the way you're presenting yourself online and that kind of thing. And I don't think any of us necessarily desire that, but I think it's a byproduct sometimes we have to, we have to realize. It can make us more narcissistic, okay? But the second thing is this, is that um, an overwhelming exposure to suffering desensitizes us. You want me to spell that for you? Desensitizes. You're all college students. You should be able to spell this, right? Hannah Granger has it. D E S E N S I T I Z E S. You nailed it? Yeah. You're like, yes, I got it right. <laughs> Desensitize. The English majors are like, you guys are lame. Um, Desensitizes. Okay, so social media. Sorry, overwhelming exposure to suffering desensitizes us. Think about this. You guys remember back in the day, like the old like, World Relief commercials, where it was like you'd watch TV and like an African child would come on, and he's like really skinny, and they'd be like, they're starving kids in Africa. You know, like, and they'd be like, why don't you give today to World Relief? You know, and that kind of thing. And you feel, and remember the first time you saw that? Like how guilty you probably felt. You're probably like eating some like Cheetos on the couch, and like you see this kid, you just felt so bad, right? But now what happens if you've seen that like 150 times? Like, what do you... You turn... You you change the channel. I don't want to feel bad about that, right? Oh, my... Oh, gosh. And the kittens and the puppies. Yeah, that's... Yeah. But the thing is, I think we realize that, like, the more we see this, the more we either, like, either don't want to see it when we change the channel or we scroll through the feed or we become numb to it. If you spent much time in, like, uh, third world countries or, like, serving the poor in some kind of way... One of the, the negative things that I've seen in my own self is that the more time you spend around lots of need, the, more, uh, the less sensitive you become to it. Like I remember when I lived in Uganda, um, I had to walk up this hill. It sounds like an old man kind of thing, but like I had to walk up this hill every day. And there was these huts that people lived in right across from our apartment. And literally, it was like this little like, concrete box is that this like, huge family lived in every day. And I saw their kids like, literally playing with trash as toys like, across the street from me like literally every day. I was just like, those were my neighbors, you know? And here I am, like an American. I've got, our apartment wasn't like the Taj Mahal, but it was like pretty nice for Uganda, all this kind of stuff. And, and initially you're like, man, that's really sad. But after being there for months and months, like it kind of just becomes part of your environment, right? You become desensitized to it. Also the same way that like doctors and nurses become desensitized to suffering because they're around it every day, like in the, in the hospital, right? And so we have to think, rec- uh, reconcile with that or like you know, deal with that is that, when we're exposed to overwhelming amounts of suffering, we can become desensitized to it. 
And so think about that when social media, though, is this. Like you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed, and you see a friend who posted like a recipe for guacamole. You're like, that's cool, guacamole, I like guac. But then like the next thing you see is like a news story for like, you know, um, a news reporter has been beheaded in the Middle East, you know, like doing a news report. And it's really sad. And the next thing you see is like um, a kitten, like a cat video, you know, that pops up. And then the next thing you see is your friend posts on social media that they lost their job that day. You know, and like how that weird interaction, that weird mix is. Studies have shown that actually our brain has a hard time processing those being any different because they're portrayed in the same way. And what our, bo- our brain actually begins to say is those are all of the same value and they all are of the same worth. And what happens is, is that we begin to have a hard time empathizing with people in that kind of way because it's all portrayed in the same way. Does that make sense? So even in that kind of way, in social media, it, it can even desensitize us to this idea of like, you know, like that news story we read about the news reporter, news reporter being beheaded or like the refugees in, in Syria, that being like real. Anybody ever like struggle with that, like feeling like that's really, like really happening? Like for me, I can, I can read stories and sometimes it like, I'm like, is that really real? Like I know it is, like I'm not, I don't think they're making this up, but like it just sometimes cannot feel real, you know? And so I think that's part of this, uh, this process. But the last thing we have here, reasons um, that technology causes to care less, is a, a lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. All right, so a lack of personal interaction can make it easier not to care. So like with that friend that I mentioned who lost their job, like on Facebook. The easy thing to do, right, is to, which Facebook's come along now, you can actually put a sad face, right, and not a, a thumbs up or whatever with these kind of things. But like um, the easy thing to do when you see that post is to like, be like, comment, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, man. Hope you get a new job and kind of move on, you know. Or, uh, or like the post, or like, you know, sad face the post, not like the post anymore, you know, that kind of thing. But then kind of move on and kind of leave it like as a distant thing for us. But the fact is, is that it's easier to actually ignore suffering from a distance versus actually interact with it. And so because of the lack of personal interaction that's involved in technology and social media, it makes it easier to not care at all, right? So we, when we see these stories online about certain, you know, social justice issues, it's easier just to maybe, maybe, maybe share the post and maybe make a comment about, man, this is such a big deal, but then never really do anything about it, right? Just to kind of move on with our lives, right? And so I think those are three kind of big ideas that cause us to care less, but I want to show you a few things tonight about some biblical wisdom and how this kind of plays into this scenario. So the first thing I want to show you is this, is that true compassion demands action, I think I may have mentioned that kind of preview in this last week, but true compassion demands action. So I don't usually use fancy Greek words with you guys, but I want to give you one tonight. I even gave it to you in your notes, right? Um, fancy Greek word. But the Greek word for compassion in the, uh, in the New Testament is the word splagnizomai. Right? Splagnizomai. Okay? Repeat after me. Splagnizomai. You guys are all Greek scholars now. Like you're all super smart. You can use that, like in your next Bible study, and be like, "Well, the the Greek word for, for compassion is splagnizomai." So it's in the aorist tense in the third person. So that no, I'm kidding. Um, anyway, so uh, you can sound fancy. No, but so that's that's the word for compa- compassion in the New Testament. But here's the thing: is that um, I mentioned this to one of my Sunday school my table on Sunday. But in the first century Jewish times they had different conceptions of the body in terms of, like, emotions and that kind of thing. So, like, we think today, like, man, I'm brokenhearted about this, this deal. You know, or, like, man, my heart is just so full of joy. That's a very Christianese thing to say, I guess. But, like, my heart is so full, you know, kind of thing. And we think of heart as, like, emotions, right? Back in the first century, the heart was not your emotional center. It was your bowels, right? Your gut, 
right? Which makes sense. Think about it. Like when you like fall in love, what do you have? Butterflies in the stomach, right? Like when you're really nervous, like what do you have? Like you feel kind of queasy in your stomach. Like your emotions kind of find their way. They express themselves. This is weird that I'm doing this. But they, your emotions express themselves in your, in your kind of stomach area, right? So Jews especially, and even in first century times, they, they considered the bowels to be the seat of your emotions. And the heart was more of your mind. So like the idea of like love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Like heart really had to do with like the center of your will. That's a different sermon. But, but so we're talking about compassion. We're talking about this emotion. But there's a really interesting definition that I gave you um, of this that I think shows us something. So you see that right there, like to have the bowels yearn, which just sounds gross, but like to have the bowels yearn is part of this definition, to feel deep empathy, but don't miss this last part, is to be moved to action. So part of the definition that like biblical scholars have given for the Greek word splagnizomai, which gets translated compassion or pity, that kind of thing, is this idea that it's to have your bowels yearn, to have a deep yearning, a passionate feeling that leads you to sympathy, but doesn't leave you there. It doesn't leave you just in the emotional state. It leads you to action, right? We're going to see that in a second. I'm going to show you some examples of that, right? But here's the thing I want you to carry away from this as well as we begin to dive into some texts, is this. is to say you care but not act is to not care at all. right? To say that you care but not act is to not care at all. Right, because it's very easy talking about that loving from a distance kind of thing with like the, um, the personal interaction and, and ignoring suffering from a distance. It's way easier to kind of keep that at bay, right? And to maybe, you know, click the, you know, the, the sad face button, you know, kind of maybe share the post, that kind of thing. But keep it away and just say, well, I did my part. I shared that post. I kind of did my job. Or my friend let me know that he, uh, I heard he lost his job. I sent him a text message. We're good, like kind of thing. And kind of keep it very much at bay and not involve yourself in that. That's way easier. But to say that we really care about something, but not to actually commit to some action behind it to make a difference, it's hard to say that we really care at all, right? So that's the thing that we want to see as we begin tonight is to say you care, but not act is not care at all. Um, Because I like this quote from the book. It says, caring is not liking a post, it's loving a person, right? Caring is not liking a post, it's loving a person. So what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of passages from... uh, Jesus' life in the Old Testament. Sorry, Old Testament. That'd be a different message. Uh, In the New Testament, um, (coughs) excuse me, New Testament, to show you these examples, okay? All right, so if you will look first with me at Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses uh, 40 and 41. But here's what we see as we begin to look at these few verses. Every time the word splaganizomai, right, compassion, pity, is used in the New Testament when it comes to Jesus' life, he immediately does something. Like, he, he immediately takes action, Okay, and as Christians, which the, Christ, the word Christian literally means little Christ, right? Followers of Christ, we should take example after Christ. So let's look at a few of these verses here. So look at Mark 1, verses 40 and 41. All right, it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And move with pity, move with splagnizomai, all right, compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. All right, so Jesus encountering his leper, moved with compassion, seeing his need, and is moved to heal him. All right, and I'm not saying you should reach out and just heal lepers. These days you don't quite have the same power, but we get the idea that he was moved to action. All right, so look at, um, at Matthew 14, 14, if you will. I'll give you a second look there if you want to. I'll give you a few more references in a minute, but these I want you to look up if you'd like to. So Matthew 14, 14, a few pages to the left. 
All right, Matthew 14, 14 says this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had, it's right? He had compassion for all the Greek scholars who want to get into a debate. It's, it's not actually splagnizomai, it's in the verb tense, but don't give me a hard time, all right? It's splagnizomai, all right, he had splagnizomai on them and healed their sick. See, so we see he has compassion on them, and he moves to action. One more, Matthew 20, 34. So flip over six chapters in Matthew, Matthew 20, 34. This is Jesus interacting with two blind men. They cry out to him. Uh, they're asking for healing. In Matthew 20, 30, 20 34, this is what happens. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus, in splagnosomai, in compassion and pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. All right, so I mentioned all that to show you this, is that every time we see that word compassion, right, pity, we see Jesus immediately responding in some form of action. Right? So action and compassion are very much tied together in Jesus' life. All right? But here's the issue is that in our lives, the more we begin to center our lives around ourselves and the more we even begin to obsess over social media, it leads us to begin to obsess more over ourselves and just care more about ourselves, which leads us to care less about people. Right? So the more we obsess over social media, the less we care about, excuse me, the more we obsess over social media, the more we care about ourselves and the less we care about other people, right? But if we begin to follow Christ and look at his life and begin to see his heart for the needy, to see his heart for the hurting, for the broken, for the lost, for the suffering, if we begin to get closer to Christ, the exact opposite happens. The less we begin to care about ourselves, right, and the more we begin to care about other people. It's like John the Baptist, right, when he was talking about Jesus, he said that he must increase and I must decrease, right? It's a great life verse. He must increase, I must decrease. The more we get closer to Christ, the less we care about ourselves, the more we care about other people, right? And that compassion leads us to action. So let's move on to these next kind of uh, three things I want to show you here tonight. Three things about compassion that I want you to see. Uh, The first is this, is that compassion interrupts. All right, compassion interrupts. You don't have to look these up, but I want to give you three more quick examples from the... um, from Jesus' life to kind of show you this idea. But all throughout Jesus' ministry, he got interrupted by, like, people. Like, you kind of wonder if he got annoyed with people, but he probably didn't because he didn't sin, right? So, but you, you, it would make sense if he got annoyed with us because of the things that happened in his life. But look at three examples. I'll give them to you. Um, Mark 6. Okay, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But in Mark 6, Jesus and the disciples have been, like, killing it in ministry. They've been, like, their ministry is hashtag lit, all right? They're doing lots of stuff. They're, they're like working super hard, all right? They, and they've been ministering to so many of these people, all right? And they are exhausted. They are burnout to the core. And so what do you do when you're burnout? Go home and watch Netflix, right? No, they didn't have Netflix. So they, what they do is they withdraw on the ocean and they go across the Sea of Galilee. I want to say Sea of Galilee. And they find another place to rest and just like, you know, take it easy for a little bit to recharge. All the introverts in the, of the disciples were, you know, need to recharge some. So they're hanging out, they're relaxing. But what happens? The people, because Jesus was a big celebrity at the time, see what happens, and they notice, and I guess other people on the other side of the Sea of Galilee notice what's happening, and they begin to gather on the other side, right? And they begin to say, hey, hey, Jesus, like, please teach us. In the middle of their like, relaxing time, even actually in Mark 6, it says they were so busy up until that point, they hadn't even had time to eat. So they were probably even hangry in some ways. Like, they were just like, man, they were hungry, they're tired, like they're burnout. But what happens in Mark 6, mainly verses 30 to 34, if you want to write it down, Jesus yet again sees the crowds, and much like Matthew 14, it says that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he began to teach them. 
even after being burnt out to the max, not even have time to eat, right, he begins to teach them. And right after that, in um, Mark 6, is when he feeds the 5,000 as well. That's kind of the context of that, right? So Jesus was like running on fumes at that point, right? Which is okay to say he was also fully man. He was fully God and fully man. That's a different theology lesson. But um, so Mark 6, we see that. Mark, um, excuse me, Luke 8, all right? Luke 8, Jesus is on his way um, to heal a dying girl. This guy named Jairus comes up to Jesus at one point and says, hey, my daughter's dying. Will you please come heal her? Jesus says, yes, of course, right? So he begins to make his way through the city to go heal this, Jairus' daughter. Well, he was, again, a popular guy. So crowds are pressing in around him, like wanting to talk to him, wanting him to heal him kind of thing. And at one point, this one lady who had been suffering from a bleeding condition for 12 years finally makes her way up to Jesus, reaches out, and in faith touches his robe. And we, we studied this in Mark two years ago, but touches his robe, and immediately she's healed. And Jesus, which this makes like, this blows my mind, he senses that power had gone out of him, which he was being touched by all kinds of people, but it's a different idea. But he senses power had gone out of him and stops and says, who touched me? And Peter's like, what do you mean he touched you? Like, everybody's touching you. Like, you're, what are you talking about? He's like, no, someone touched me in faith. And he turns to this woman and, in, and has this exchange, this interaction with her right in that moment. And he was interrupted, right? Like, just like in Mark 6, the disciples and Jesus were interrupted from the rest. In Mark 8, sorry, Luke 8, Jesus is interrupted from his other ministry. He stops. He takes time to minister to this lady. Last thing we see is Mark 2. You've heard this one before, right? Jesus is in, like, a house, and he's like, this house is like crammed with people. It is like, you know, high attendance Sunday of the, you know, of the, you know, little house this day. And it's crammed out. He's teaching and it's full of these guys. Uh, these four guys have a friend who's paralyzed. They want to take him to Jesus to get healed. Well, the place is full, so they can't get in. So what do they do? You've heard the Sunday school story. You've, you've seen the final graph probably, but like they take him up to the roof. The way the roofs are at that time, you can actually like dig out the dirt and stuff. And actually, they lower this guy by the mat into the room. Which, by the way, those times, roofs were way less like tall. So like when they're lowering this guy into like um, the room, like the dude is like literally hanging in front of Jesus' face more than likely while he's being lowered. So you can imagine the awkward situation of the guy like paralyzed. He's like looking at Jesus like, I'm so sorry. This wasn't my idea. Like it was my, you know, like imagine the awkward interaction with that. But like, um, but even in that, like, you would think Jesus would be like, man, I'm in the middle of my sermon. Like, I just spent, like, two days preparing for this. Like, I worked hard on this sermon. Like, give me, give me 30 more minutes, and then we'll, you know, like, if it was me, I'd be like, man, I spent two days, you know. But he doesn't do that. You know, like, he's like, no, well, stop. Let me heal this guy. And he, and he takes time. He allows himself to be interrupted to, uh, and to be inconvenienced, right, to heal this guy. So we see all throughout Christ's ministry that he allowed interruptions to happen um, and as an opportunity to show compassion, right? So here's the thing I want you to think or take from that is that God often works in interruptions. All right, that God often works in interruptions. Because I've seen this over and over again in my life, like that it, it's almost like inconvenient times that God's like the most like prone to be like, hey, here's a chance to do something. Like I remember when I worked at the BCM, um, Nate and Kim, campus ministers there, um, we always joked around that like the, the people who were like asking for help would never come in when like they were there, but they would always come in like when everyone left but me. So, like, we'd have, like, because people think the BCM is a church sometimes because the way it looks. And they, the people come in, and they're asking for, like, help and bills paid and that kind of thing. And they always seem to come in when I was the only staff member there, <laughs> you know. And so many a time, I'm in the middle of working on something. And I find, and Ethan knows how this is. He lives there. But, like, um, I find myself in the middle of talking to somebody. And I'm like, I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm like, man, I'm, I got so much to do. Like, I don't, have, I don't really have time to talk to you right now about whatever it is, you know. And, like. In my selfishness, I just like, man, please just leave me alone. I'm like, I don't tell him this, but like, I man, please just leave. You know, and that's like selfish Kyle talking. But 
some of the, the best times of me just getting like, to minister to people personally have been in those times when some of these guys have come by. I haven't always been able to help them like, you know, find like a home or anything, but like just even personal ministry, pray for them, able to give them a little bit of money, get them connected with somebody, has been in those times of interruption. You know, and if, if I would have maybe been a little, bit more, a little bit less selfish, I might have been to help out a little bit more. But if we let our selfishness and our like, tendency to be so busy and single-minded keep us from those kind of God moments, those divine interruptions, you know, then who knows what opportunities we're, we're missing out on because we're not having our eyes open to that, right? Because we see that God oftentimes works in interruptions. And so for you, that this might mean that like, if you see that social media post about your friend who lost a job, your friend who's you know, dealing with a really hard thing right now. That mean, might mean that you had to inconvenience yourself and interrupt your day to stop and make a phone call, you know, to talk to them, to, to pray for them even in that moment, to interrupt yourself. You know? might mean you're driving down the road and you see someone who's, if you know how to change a tire, which you don't, you should learn. It's a good college skill to have. But if you, you know, you see someone who's on the side of the road and needs their tire changed, you stop. You help out. You change your tire. You know? It might mean you take time to listen to um, that one friend you have that like, talks for like 17 hours and, like, you just sit there and, like, you take time to listen to them, you know, and that kind of thing. But, but like I said, sometimes we're really just too rushed and we end up missing the blessings of God's divine interruption. So my question from that point is this. is like, when is the last time that you let a need interrupt your life? When is the last time you, excuse me, saw a need and let compassion drive you to stop what you were doing, to be interrupted, and to meet that need, and to model Jesus in that kind of way? The second thing we want to see is this, is that compassion costs, right? Compassion costs. We've got the alliteration going on, the C's. Compassion costs. So you've, you've, many of you probably heard the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Big um, Spartan Notes version of Good Samaritan is that this uh, Samaritan's going down the road one day, sees a Jew who's been robbed by, um, uh, been mugged, I guess, by robbers on the side of the road going up to Jerusalem. And he stops, he gets off, he bandages up the guy's wounds, he puts him on the back of his, uh, is it horse, mule, whatever animal he was riding, and takes him to the city, checks him into the hotel, gives the, um, the innkeeper two days wage, which is a lot of money at that time, two days wage, and says, hey, I got to go on, but any, any money that I need to pay you when I get back, I'll pay you back, and I'll, um, I, I'm good for it. I'll come back to you, right? And, we, and we, Jesus uses that idea to, to teach this Pharisee, right, this is what true like, compassion, what true mercy is, right? And, and Colby preached on that message, I think, about a year ago, um, but in that, we've all heard that story a lot before, but I think sometimes we miss the idea of how much that cost him. Like, not just fi- financially, you know, in terms of how much he had to spend um, for the innkeeper. You know, sometimes we get the idea that, you know, yeah, he had to inconvenience himself. But think about the fact that in those times, like, um, it, the roads going to Jerusalem were very dangerous. And, like, this guy that got mugged, he got mugged by robbers on the road. Like, you had no idea when you stopped to help this guy if you were, like, the next person to get robbed. Like, the, the robbers could literally let this guy there so that someone else would like come up try to help him and they can hop out of a cave and take you out too right he put it really the samaritan put even his life on the line when he took time to stop and help this guy out in that kind of way and it cost him in some kind of way but the easy thing to do would have been to do something more like a drive-by compassion thing where you kind of like wave say hey man i'm sorry like i'm praying for you you know, I threw, you know, threw like some food to him, like threw some bandages, you know, or like and kind of rode on his little donkey and kind of went on the way. And that kind of seems ridiculous and we would say that really wouldn't be helping. But that, a lot of times that's what we do when it comes to encountering need, that we just kind of throw up a, you know, a share on Facebook or we throw up a, a text message. I kind of throw up like, oh, I hope things go well, you know, and we, we don't ever stop and give up of something to show compassion and show love to people in, in that kind of way. And so, I mean, we, we, may, we, may, we may make a video of putting ice on our head, you know, but we won't really take time to stop other, other needs we see in our lives, 
right, and really help to meet that need and show love. Because there's another great, great quote from the book I like called, uh, it says, clicking is clean, but compassion is complicated. Right? Clicking, like sharing a post is clean, you distance yourself from it, but compassion is complicated. Because, like, I mean, if you get involved in some kind of, some kind of compassion needs, it gets messy. Like, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, if you choose to work to make a difference in the world and, like, follow Christ and, like, helping the suffering, it gets messy. Like, it's not a very clean-cut kind of thing. You end up going places in the world that are kind of dirty <laughs> and, like, toilets are maybe there. If you're in China, it's like there aren't really toilets. like a hole in the ground. You know, like, you go to Haiti and, like, it's just a hot place all the time. Like, and, like um, it's just hot, you know, but um, like, or you go to the inner city and you like mentor a kid that's got lots of issues. You're like, I mean, to be honest, we, we've got kids that come to our youth group, right? That, that are kind of rough. Like they're not, you know, like the easiest kids to relate to sometimes, but God loves them. Right? We love them. We want to minister to them and, and be Christ to them. But that costs something. It costs of time. It costs of like our energy, right? It costs of emotions, but that's what Christ did for us. And that's what he's called us to do as well, right? You know, it even can be like later on in life. Like we heard some great stuff about fostering and adoption this past weekend to pursue. It could even be for you, God's calling you to like um, get involved in fostering, only to bring a child into your home for like, you know, a year or two or less and then let them go back to their parents. Or adoption. Adoption costs in a lot of ways, not just financially, but, you know, in a lot of ways as well. Like, but showing compassion in that kind of way costs us something. So if maybe for you, that question again holds true. When's the last time compassion costs you something? Like what is compassion even costing you now? Like showing that to people and being the hands of feet of Christ. What is it costing you? And last thing is this. Compassion changes lives. You probably could guess that one, right? Compassion changes lives. But if you think about it, like you think about the ministry of Christ, like, man, outside of even his work on the cross, which is obviously huge, he made a significant difference in the lives of people in terms of the blind were healed, the hungry were fed, through his, ministry, through his disciples the naked were clothed and the broken restored. Like lives were changed and a difference was made. And the cool thing is that, like, as followers of Christ, we get to be a part of that process of making a difference in the world. Like, that we, we're not just Christians who believe that, you know, we're all going to just kind of die and go to heaven and this world can just do whatever it wants to. But no, we're, we're called to be involved in making a difference in this world and displaying Christ's love actively through serving the least of these, right? And we get to get to. It's not a have to. It's not a guilt trip thing. It's a get to kind of thing, right? And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the cool thing about compassion changing lives is lots of times, if you've been on many mission trips, you get this. But that really time, uh, many times, compassion changes lives, but really the, the life that's the most changed sometimes is your own. Like that you're, yourself is the most changed. I mean, how many times have you maybe gone, if you've done much mission work, you've gone on a trip thinking, man, I'm so excited to, to get to serve these people in this kind of way. And you end up coming back, you're like, man, I feel like I've been served. You know, I went to show mercy. I feel like I've been showing mercy. I feel like I went to show like love and I feel like I've been showing so much more love than I even gave, you know. And that's one of the beautiful things about showing compassion is that God uses that. Even kind of like David talked about Sunday with the merciful mission is that God uses even our involvement in missions to minister to us, right? And our involvement in showing compassion to minister to us. So as we begin to wrap up tonight, remember that thought we started with earlier on, like to care and not act is to not care at all, right? That we've been called to take action, to show splagnizomai, to show compassion and pity, right? And as we get closer to the heart of God, who has a heart, has a heart of love, compassion, mercy, who cares for the broken, that we should be driven in the same way to make a difference. Not to simply share a post, not simply just to shoot up a text, right? But to actively seek to connect with people and to make a difference in their lives. But I want to add one more thing to this as we begin to close. because I know there's people in here who are like the opposite of this spectrum than the just sharing the post kind of thing. Some people in here 
feel like the weight of the world on their shoulders in this kind of way. Like you're not like, oh, I see that post, I'll share it, kind of move on. No, you're like freaking out because you know of like all 27,000 needs in the world right now. And you're like, what do I even do? Like, how do I even start like making a difference? And the, what you can do is like you end up getting paralyzed, that paralysis of analysis where you're like, man, there's so many needs, I don't even know where to start. So I guess I won't even do anything, right? And you get overwhelmed. And you're like, what do I even do? I don't, where do I start? But here's the beautiful thing about it is that Jesus, even though he was God in human form, did Jesus walk into Jerusalem or walk around the Middle East at that time and heal literally every person? Did he, did he heal everybody? Did he feed everybody? Did he raise all the dead? No, right? He didn't meet every person's need. What did he do? He obeyed his father, right? He looked for the ways that his father in heaven was working around him, the opportunities that came to him, opportunities that you know, he was able to, to know of, and he acted out of compassion and met those needs, right? Now, we live in a world now where you can know about needs literally around the world, like 24-7, the news, like we, just, we know about tsunamis that happen you know, across the world when, in, in an instant. So we're overwhelmed in some ways with just the stuff that we know. You know. We just know so much suffering in the world, and it can be easy to get overwhelmed. But I think the best place to start when it comes to how do I make a difference is to look at, like, look at what's around you. you know? And not even just what's around you, but look at what breaks your heart personally. Like, look at how God has gifted you. Right? Look at like, the needs that you see around him. Like, look at you know, what really um, just breaks your heart. And start there. And don't feel the pressure and the burden to make a difference and to fix all the wrongs in the world. Because guess what? You're not Jesus. You can't, you're not going to make all things right. You're not going to return on a white horse right? and, like, and fix the whole world. right? You're not Christ. right? <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. But you have been called to make a difference in the world that God has placed you in. right? And so look at the needs around you and begin to take steps in that direction. Look at the things that God has burdened you with. right? Because he's called all of us to be burned in different ways. Like, I mean... I have a heart, and I care, and I'm passionate about things like um, human trafficking, right? But God has not placed me in a situation where, like, that's, like, my specific thing that I'm involved with. Like, I can be involved in specific ways and do certain actions, but not in the way that maybe someone else who's, like, actively working with, like, a ministry in that way can. And so, like, same thing for you. You have a certain amount, a limited amount of time, resources, right? So make a difference in the ways that you can, the way God has equipped you, and begin in that way. And you never know where God may take you from there, right? And so I feel like that's maybe just some helpful wisdom for you. I've not felt that, that burden before. Um, but with that, we're going to ro- um, wrap up kind of with that thought. But remember, like we said, the more we obsess with social media, all right, the more that we get all caught up in that world, the more we just simply focus around ourselves. And the more we, we begin to get more narcissistic and just b- simply build our world around ourselves. But the closer you get to Christ, the more you care, and the, and the more you care about other people, right? The closer you get to Christ, the, the less you care about yourself, the more you care about other people, right? So with that um, done, I'm going to pray for us, and then I want you guys to discuss for a few minutes. i give you three questions on your sheet. Take uh, about 10 to 15 minutes and discuss those, and we'll be done tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and just how we see the story of Christ living out um, just a life of true obedience, Lord, a life of compassion, a life that um, was marked by caring for the poor, the hurting, and ultimately a life that was marked by caring for those who had eternal suffering. And that Christ went and died on the cross to take away our eternal suffering, Father, and to pay the penalty that we could never pay except for simply um, being separated from you forever, Lord, in a place called hell. But, Lord, Christ came and met our need in that kind of way. And because of that, Lord, we have come to know you. Lord, and I pray for any student in here, Lord, that does not know you in that way, Lord, that you open their eyes um, to the truth of your gospel tonight and the truth that they can be set free from their sin in Jesus' name. But for those here who do know you, Lord, I pray that these students will live a life that is marked by compassion. They would live a life that, um, that 
has eyes wide open to the needs around them, Lord, that is looking to, to not simply um, like a post, Lord, not simply looking to share something or just kind of throw up a, a simple kind of distant message, Lord, but looking to, to make real change, Lord, and looking to, to act, to maybe even get interrupted, maybe even having to give up you know, more than they even think in order to, to serve you and to make a difference in the world. So I pray that you would just use these students in a powerful, powerful way for your glory in this world. And God, as we discuss now, I pray in Christ's name, amen.